In my culture, death is not the end. It's more of a stepping off point. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Talking Smack, where we talk superheroes, movies, animation, and comics. I am your host, Josh Scar, and I am flying solo this week, so this will probably be a fairly quick episode uh, without anyone to bounce off of. Not going to be able to deep dive as much as I want to because I I like that back and forth. Uh, Unfortunately, because of the circumstances of my hotel room, where I have no internet and I don't have enough data on my phone to hotspot, uh, I'm going to be doing this one solo. So I appreciate your patience with me, and I'm going to try and segment this episode by non-spoiler thoughts and story discussions, spoiler discussions, and then I'm going to kind of round it out into a little bit more of a what does this mean for the overall MCU, and then we'll call it a day. With that, we're going to take our ad break, and we're going to hear from the wonderful boys over at the Video Game Club. We will be right back. Join me, Joey, and my two co-hosts, Slade and Timothy, at the Video Game Club, where once every two weeks we review video games. It's a little bit like a book club, a little bit more swearing, a little bit more beeping, a little bit of Slade's wrong opinions. Join the club today. Welcome back, and I hope you guys enjoyed hearing from Joey, Tim, and Slade. I apologize if you hear the vent in my hotel room. It's a continuous cycle, and unfortunately, there's not much I can do about it because it won't turn off. I have the actual air and heat turned off, but it's still running for health reasons, so there's not much I can do about the background noise. If you hear it, I apologize. I'll do my best to edit out any and all background noise, and moving right along, we're going to Drop the spoiler warning for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I know I said I'm going to do non-spoiler discussions, spoilers, then move into MCU discussion. Just want it to be known that I might slip up and there might be spoilers. Again, I will do my best to edit it out. So Wakanda Forever, it's, it's fairly well detached from the rest of the MCU other than a few story beats. It immediately opens with touching on the death of T'Challa, um... They kind of pay homage to Chadwick Boseman with this, with him, with T'Challa seemingly coming down with an illness that they they don't know what it is, and apparently his Black Panther abilities are not able to prevent it. We see Shuri trying to create a new artificial heart-shaped herb that ideally would be able to fix the issue, but she's unsuccessful because she hasn't had enough time to work with it. And this is meant to, this is very much meant to emulate what happened with Chadwick Boseman where just suddenly he's gone and it works really well. There were, there were many teary eyed people, myself included in my theater. And then we get a wonderful dedication to Chadwick Boseman with the opening fanfare, which is completely silent. And we just get screen captures of him or scenes moments within the MCU of him as T'Challa. That's, that's what got me the first time uh, that that's silent. That silent homage to him, similar to what they did with Stan Lee, just that one broke me. And the movie gives you a good moment to recalibrate. And it says one year later, which again, kind of gives us a moment to be like, to distance ourselves from what happened in the movie, as well as 
get ourselves back into a mindset that we're going to sit down and watch a Marvel movie. Uh, we are taken to a UN summit where Queen Ramonda, T'Challa's mom, Shuri's mom, is now Queen of Wakanda, and she is pissed off. She's there to confront a couple of nations for sending troops to try and steal some vibranium. And we just get a, a great sequence of events kind of showcasing what happened. And she brings those troops into the UN facility and basically lays out a challenge of, you come after our shit, we're gonna come after you. And who, man, does she bring it? Angela Bassett as Queen Ramonda, she brings an award-worthy performance to this movie. I, I don't know if she was extra motivated to kind of bring it for for Chadwick or or what it was, but who, man, she she deserves some recognition, even if it's just an awards nomination, if not an awards win. She was all in on this performance, and you you feel it. The movie plays out focusing on how we deal with grief and loss and how specifically Ramonda and Shuri are dealing with the grief and loss and the, the people around them trying to help pick them up and not even try to replace those important people, but to honor them and keep promises like M'Baku, played by Winston Duke, talks about how he promised T'Challa to offer counsel to Shuri because of his ability to be honest with people. And he, he doesn't mince words, so he obviously would be a great person to have as a council member or just even as a friend who would offer advice. Uh, you have Okoye, who is still the head of the Dora Milaje, but Shuri has kind of secluded herself into her experiments and just trying to distance herself from her feelings because she is grieving so heavily, whereas Ramonda has to try to move on because she is now leader of Wakanda. The movie does a really great job of playing up on those aspects of grief because some people dive into work to try and distract themselves from their feelings. Other people will grieve when when they can while still trying to operate as normally as possible. That's more or less the opening sequences of the movie. I'm not going to get too into it beat by beat. I'm trying to separate spoilers from non-spoilers. To break down the Namor stuff, I think it's good. Ryan Coogler does a really good job with a character that I don't really care too much about. I think Namor is kind of a boring character. He basically exists to just be a giant asshole in the comics. He he just doesn't do much for me. And the the origin that they created for him in this movie is really solid. Uh, I don't know that it makes me care about him any more or less. Um, with him being the villain of the story, I'm fine with what happened. But overall, I think it's it's a fine performance, and they drop minor spoilers. They do acknowledge him as being a mutant. So we we have our first confirmed mutant in the MCU, Ms. Marvel, who they teased it, especially with the X-Men little sting they put there in the Ms. Marvel show, but they never explicitly said the word mutant. Riri Williams, played by Dominique Thorne, is the standout of this movie, in my opinion. I, I should mention Namor, played by Tinoch Huerta. Uh, he he does the role really well. He he does what's asked of him. I'm curious to see how they expand on that. He is one of the rare, again, minor spoilers, but anyone who knows of Namor's history knows he's got other ties. So he survives, uh, even as the main villain of the piece. The standout for me is Dominique Thorne. 
her performance as Riri Williams is a big breath of fresh air in this movie. And they don't make a big deal about her having an Iron Man suit, which I think is great. Um, they, they do call it out as an Iron Man suit, but that's kind of it. They don't try to push her as the next Iron Man or anything like that. They just say, oh shit, she's got an Iron Man suit. And that's kind of it really for non-spoiler territory. A lot of that stuff that we've talked about already is in the trailers. And I I would give this movie, just to give the rating out of the way, the talking smack must see. It's uh, an MCU entry, so if you're already invested in the MCU, you're going to go see it. If I'm going to give any kind of caveat to this, it's I almost wish that they did not get into the superhero side of things because obviously it's a Black Panther movie. There's going to be a new Black Panther and I kind of, that part felt really rushed. I didn't think it was needed. I think there are workarounds that I will discuss a little bit more in spoilers. But I, I really enjoyed this movie and the MCU stuff as well that gets sandwiched into here, I think is a deterrent of the movie. Uh, it, it hurts the movie in a way because there's a really great character piece in this. But we have to keep doing the Marvel thing and we have to keep expanding the universe or acknowledging the wider universe. I think this could have been really well done if they had cut 20 minutes out of this movie and they just got rid of all the Marvel stuff, but that's not how this machine works anymore. So that's not how this movie ends up. So I think at the end of the day, it's going to kind of hurt it come awards season, but I think it will probably win best original song and maybe Angela Bassett walks away with a best supporting actress. To get into spoilers, I will say that I can't wait for Riri Williams to meet up with America Chavez. I think they'll become best friends. I already mentioned that I didn't like how the ending came across because I think the final fight really could have happened without Shuri becoming the new Black Panther, without her creating the new heart-shaped herb. I think that could have been a tease for the very end of the movie, but they had their own ending planned. Uh, which I, again, that that is a fantastic ending because we get more, we get more homages and goodbyes to Chadwick Boseman, and I think that is really good. So the way the way the ending plays out is Namor and uh, Talokan, I believe, is the name of not Atlantis. Um, I think they changed the name to get away from Atlantis and more Aquaman territory, and Namor, Namor and Talokan. They attack Wakanda as kind of their first strike on the surface world after he has tried to get Wakanda to abduct Riri Williams and give her over to them because she has created a a vibranium detector. Vibranium apparently also exists under the water near Talokan, and they, vibranium is a big part of their culture. So that's something that Wakanda and Talokan hold together. It, it's kind of a common ground for them. But... Namor sees it as a means for them to create an alliance and basically be us versus them, meaning the rest of the surface world. And in order to protect that allegiance that he sees them having, he needs to kill the scientist who created this vibranium detector, which turns out to be Riri Williams. So Shuri and Okoye go and basically abduct Riri Williams from uh, MIT in Boston. And this is where the MCU stuff really kicks in. 
And this is where I think the biggest detriment to the movie happens because uh, we get reintroduced to Everett Ross, which I think bringing him back is a nice touch, but he he gets a bigger role than I think is needed because there's there's a subplot with the UN that I mentioned earlier, non-spoilers, where the, the U.S. and French ambassadors are basically waiting for an opportunity to strike at Wakanda and try and steal some vibranium. But that storyline basically shifts over to Everett Ross and the FBI and Julia Louis-Dreyfus as Madame Hydra, uh, Val Fontaine, whatever you want to call her. She's basically the new Nick Fury, but there's going to be a twist where she's evil, probably. I think you, you could have shifted all that focus from Ross and director Fontaine to uh, Richard Schiff, who is the U.S. Secretary of State, who is at the U.N. meeting. He could have been the person doing a lot of the stuff and that you could have cut down on runtime and he could have been the the like main bad guy of the story that's not Namor. Whereas the MCU stuff that you need to tie in with Julia Louis-Dreyfus as Madame Hydra, uh, director Fontaine, and Everett Ross with, with Martin Freeman as Everett Ross that that MCU stuff isn't needed really in this movie. It's just padding for the MCU stuff. And I, I think you could have cut all that out and it, it would not have hurt the movie by any stretch of the imagination because none of it even really resolves. We get kind of a, a Captain America Civil War ending where Wakanda breaks out. But I think I went off on a really weird tangent here. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, the the uh, the final conflict that I'm I was referring to um, Shuri becomes Black Panther because Talokan attacks and she realizes they need a Black Panther. So she creates a new heart-shaped herb, a synthetic one, and uh, she uses it through a similar plant that grew in Namor's ancestral home in um, northern South America. Uh, he grew, he was like a Mayan culture. Uh, they don't specifically say Mayan, but he is related to the Mayans. And so she create recreates the the heart-shaped herb becomes the new black panther and i i don't think that was actually needed i think that if that was teased at the end of the movie that she had successfully created a new heart-shaped herb you could have had her become the black panther in the next avengers movie or whatever team-up movie or whatever the black panther stuff i think kind of hurts the story because they don't make it a point to have shuri kind of begrudge the mantle of Black Panther and we never allude to the idea of someone else taking up the mantle of the Black Panther. So I think that's a story beat that was missed and because it was never really mentioned in the story, her taking up the mantle doesn't fit really. If there had been a subplot of trying to recreate the heart-shaped herb or even just having training kind of doing um, a U.S. agent kind of thing where Maybe they don't have the heart-shaped herb, but they're going to recruit someone to become the new Black Panther, regardless of whether or not they can take the heart-shaped herb. Maybe having that would have been something to do, too, but this movie would have been overstuffed with stuff like that because it is more focused on the drama and the the grief aspect, uh, along with expanding the world and showing off Namor and his kingdom. So I apologize if that ramble makes no sense again. I'll try to edit that to make it sound good. We'll see what happens. But main point being, I think the Black Panther stuff could have been pushed and it could have been more about Wakanda as a nation and how they adapt without a Black Panther. And then you could have teased her Shuri making the the new heart-shaped herb and becoming the new Black Panther. I don't think we needed the Black Panther to show up and save the day because it was never really part of the story that they needed a new Black Panther. So it, to me, the as far as like characterization and growth, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. It just felt like we need to get to the ending. 
sure he's going to make the new heart shaped urban become the new black panther because we need a black panther because it's a black panther movie it never really felt like the black panther stuff was ever really part of the story until the very end when it needed to be because it's a superhero movie we got to go do some superheroing and that that's really kind of my thoughts on the the spoiler aspect of things. I'm not going to dive too deep into the Tolokan stuff because admittedly, I had a really bad viewing experience. I had a bunch of kids sit behind me, which at first I thought was fine. It, cool, kids coming to see a superhero movie and maybe they'll really get something out of it. But they were more interested in telling stories. So I missed a big chunk of the middle because I was too distracted trying to shush some kids behind me. But the the Tolokan stuff, I I thought was fine expanding lore and building up namor i will say that the visuals of the movie are really ballsy at times because it looks a lot like the trailer for avatar the way of water you've got people who are blue when they're above the water riding on whales and living a communal life with nature and water it felt really ballsy of disney to allow this movie to be made and released a month before Avatar The Way of Water, considering some of the key visuals are very similar. But when you've got something that you know is going to make a lot of money in both Wakanda Forever and Avatar The Way of Water, maybe you don't really care. Maybe people won't even make that connection after the fact because they're going to be very different kind of movies. Uh, the last spoiler thing I'm really going to talk about is, I almost didn't even mention this because it felt almost like a footnote, uh, but the, the Midnight Angels made an appearance... Um, as two suits of armor that came into play in the final battle. I, I'm not overly familiar with the Midnight Angels other than they are like an elite guard of the elite guard. They're the upper echelon Dora Milaje and they get this special armor. And in the comics, they're used in what is called the Doom War where Dr. Doom is trying to invade Wakanda and steal its vibranium and kind of basically do what Russia is trying to do in the Ukraine. But I think that there, it's just a nice nod to the comics it's not building towards anything because I have seen a couple of clickbait articles that are like, hey, is this alluding to Doctor Doom? What's going on here? I think it's just they they were in the comics and they needed to give the Wakandans a little extra firepower because they had created an enemy that is essentially unkillable. So they needed to give the Wakandans a little extra oomph to do that. I, did, I also forgot to mention uh, a little bit more in detail. Riri Williams as Ironheart. Her armor looks awesome in the movie. But she doesn't get a whole lot of play in it. I think they are saving more of the more of the character development and her design aesthetic for the Armor Wars movie. Um, but to go back to the Midnight Angels, I I do think that that's being this is what they're going to be used for, and going forward they'll be uh, an additional weaponry in Dora Milaje training ground. It, it, there could very well be a Doctor Doom subplot that gets thrown into the next movie if there is one. We'll see. I don't know. But from the sounds of things, it sounds like Doctor Doom is still a while away. Fantastic Four is rumored to not have Doctor Doom be its primary focus, which I think is fine. There were also rumors that there was going to be a Fantastic Four post credit scene. But I think what they ended up using was better because the last five minutes of the movie between the ending scene after, they, after Shuri saves... Or no, I'm sorry. I think it's Okoye as a Midnight Angel comes and saves Everett Ross while Shuri goes to visit Nakia. And Nakia goes and has a moment where she finally lets go of her grief or at least accepts her grief and kind of moves on from the anger stage of her grief. I said grief a lot there. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then we get we get a really great uh, showcase of 
kind of silent. I think there's some swelling music. I can't quite remember because there were tears in my eyes and I was trying not to cry too badly that we get a, a nice little montage of Chadwick Boseman again. Uh, some of which I think they use some footage that was never shown in theaters or in movies. I think they were maybe from deleted scenes. Uh, some of it was unfamiliar to me. So I was, it was a really nice touch to be able to be like, oh, new things with Chad. Cool. But then we get, we, we come back. Shuri's having her moment and fade to black. We get a really great song from Rihanna. And then we come back and Nakia introduces Shuri to her nephew. T'Challa and Nakia had a son who seemingly survived the snap along with Nakia. And they reveal that his name is T'Challa, son of T'Challa. And that that could be a nice little setup for a recast where they basically do what the comics did with Nick Fury after the MCU hit big. And they basically went, hey, this is Nick Fury Jr., who is remarkably similar looking to Samuel L. Jackson. He's going to be the new Nick Fury. Just drop the junior. Don't worry about it. Don't ask questions. So I wonder if maybe with Secret Wars and the Kang Dynasty, if there won't be some time manipulation where they grow up new T'Challa Jr. and just have him become the new Black Panther and recast that way. That way you're not dishonoring Chadwick Boseman, but you're bringing T'Challa back into the Black Panther fold. And that's just me projecting. I don't know for sure what's going to happen. And with that, how does Black Panther Wakanda Forever affect the larger MCU? We have obviously the setup of Riri Williams with Armor Wars. We obviously don't know too much about anything outside of Don Cheadle is coming back to play War Machine and maybe presumably take on the mantle of Iron Man. Uh, Riri Williams will return as Ironheart in some way. And we will also have uh, probably some kind of government interference or maybe even Madame Hydra, Val Fontaine. I don't know why I can never remember her name. She's just Madame Hydra to me because she's obviously being set up as a bad guy. We also have Everett Ross basically now becoming a political. I I don't even know what he he's technically a traitor to the U.S. because he withheld information or he gave classified information away. um, But he's basically going to go become a a Wakandan citizen that's not going to be able to be extradited. And we have Namor and uh, Talokan who are now sitting and waiting, essentially. Uh, We'll see what happens with them. Maybe something happens where he comes back in Fantastic Four. Who knows? There are some breadcrumbs here and there, but I, as I said earlier, I don't think it needed to do a lot with the greater MCU. I think it really would have benefited from having a more separated story where it was just Wakanda and Shuri and Ramonda and just... The, the people we've come to know within these stories, Okoye, M'Baku, just having time with them and understanding what they're going through with the mourning of the loss of T'Challa. Nakia, too, and it's nice to see the, the setup of T'Challa having a son and all that. The legacy lives on, in a way. But yeah, that's, that's kind of all I have. Again, Wakanda Forever is definitely a must-see. I think... For casual viewers, the MCU stuff might bog it down a bit. For MCU fans, it'll definitely keep the intrigue going beyond what's just happening on the screen with the story of Wakanda Forever. If I had to point out any flaws in this film, it would be I don't think Letitia Wright gives the greatest of performances. She's able to deliver her her snarkiness really well. I do buy into her rage, but there's not much else that really comes across for me with her performance. And then the other flaw I would really give again is just 
the MCU stuff doesn't need to be in this film, but it is, so we got to deal with it. With that, I'm going to start closing out here. And before we start closing out, I did look up before we started recording that Wakanda Forever is projected to close out the weekend at about $180 million opening domestically, which is absolutely phenomenal. And I'm sure the the global opening is going to be great too. I do think this movie will have some legs. There will be people who are avoiding theaters. The number may drop off pretty heavily just because it did release on in the U.S. at least on a federal holiday. So the following week may have a slightly bigger drop just because there aren't as many kids coming out to the theaters. I think it will have some legs until The Way of Water comes out, and then you'll probably see it get ushered out pretty quickly just because Disney doesn't want to be competing against itself. So thank you so much to everyone for sticking through this and listening to me ramble by myself. If you have any thoughts, comments, concerns, please follow us on Twitter. at You can follow me at Josh underscore Scar. And you can follow the podcast at Talking Smack Pod. You can email us at tsmackpod at gmail.com. Thank you to Leo Allen for our musical themes. Thank you to Beppo and Retro Ale Studios for our avatars. Please like, subscribe, rate, review. And thank you everyone for listening. And before we go, instead of our usual outro, I am going to leave with uh, a soundbite a soundbite from an interview that Chadwick Boseman did uh, during the press tour for the, the first Black Panther movie. And uh, I'm going to just kind of leave that as our tribute to Chadwick Boseman. Thank you again, everyone. Take care. All of it has been very personal, just watching the kids um, experience it. And for me, I would say, uh, you know, there are two, um, two little kids, uh, Ian and Taylor, who um, recently passed uh, from cancer. And throughout our filming, I was communicating with them, um, knowing that they were both terminal. And and what they said to me is, and their parents said they just they're trying to hold on till this movie comes. Mm. And I, to a certain degree, you hear them say that, and you're like, like wow, that's like I gotta get up and I gotta get up and go to the gym. <laughs> I gotta get up and go to work. Um, you know, I got to learn these lines. I got to work on this accent. Uh, you know, seeing how devoted all of my castmates are and knowing that that that, that, that will be something meaningful f- to them. But it's to a certain degree, it's, it's a humbling experience because you're like, this can't mean that much to them, you know. But seeing how the world has taken this on, seeing how the movement, is, how it's taken on a life of its own, I realized that they anticipated something great. And um, I think back now to a kid and just, you know, uh, waiting for Christmas to come, waiting for my birthday to come, Mm. uh, waiting for a toy that was going to, that I was going to get a chance to experience or a video game. I did live life waiting for those moments. And so it put me back in the mind of being a kid just just to experience those two little boys um anticipation of this movie and when i found out that they take your time with it 
Yeah, it's it's it means a lot. 